everyone to the Disco Posse podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host today. Don't forget to keep following along. You can go to discopossepodcast.com, get show notes, links, and more. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And with that, let's get started. We're live or something. We're recording. We're live here. It's live right now. If you're folks that are listening, thank you very much. Uh, of course, you found us here. Where uh, My name is Eric Wright. I'm the host here at the Disco Posse podcast. Uh, thus named, I'm at Disco Posse, and it's the easiest way to find me online. Uh, big thanks. We've had lots of requests from folks for some neat show ideas. And I tell you, this is going to be one of those times when I get to put one of these requests into action. Uh, super happy today. Uh, our guest is someone who I've been lucky enough to have been able to spend some time uh, out in the community with, learning a lot from, and really you know, watching an amazing kind of growth in just the way his career has gone and, and the effect that he's had on, on myself, our peers, and, and obviously, you know, kind of bigger things. But at any rate, let's get started. We're going to talk with, we've got Ed Horley here. If you don't already know Ed, uh, you haven't gone to Pluralsight. You clearly are not listening to the packet pushers uh, and most likely you haven't got your finger on the pulse. But uh, so let's do that. Ed, we want to introduce yourself. Tell us where we can find you online. And then we're going to kind of we're going to talk about some neat things about the 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 path from technologist to the big boss. <laughs> <laughs> so hi, everyone. Um, Ed Horley uh, at E Horley uh, on Twitter is probably the f- easiest way to to follow and keep track of what the heck I'm up to. Uh, normally referred to as the crazy IPv6 guy <laughs> outside, of, <laughs> outside of the other, other areas. So I do host the IPv6 Buzz podcast over at the Packet Pushers. So if you feel like uh, listening to uh, a couple of uh, crazy, crazy ranting IPv6 things, then uh, feel free to tune in on that one. But, uh, and then my courses over on Pluralsight are, are also on IPv6. <laughs> it's, it's a disease. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Eric, I mean, when did we first meet? I think we met at, it had to have been one of the major conferences and just, I wandered up and I'm like, hey, what the heck is your company all about? And you went into this long diatribe of explaining everything. I'm like, okay, I think I caught about like a quarter of what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. it was funny. I think it was like, uh, it probably was Interop. So you, you and I have been, been involved with Interop for a long time uh, and really seen some neat shifts in kind of the way that that team is doing things and the way the conference has gone. Uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, so very, very cool. I won't be able to be there this year. Unfortunately, I got, I was unfortunate, unfortunate that I can't be there. It's not unfortunate because I'm having a baby. So that's, uh, that's kind well, of right, right, right. not be there, but the, yeah, we've, we, I think it was probably like, I remember you, you stood at the back. It was doing like an open stack, like a half day session on open stack. And then I was like, you asked a question about like how IPv6 was going to be handled through neutron. And I was like, Whew, all right, I'm already in the deep end of the pool. I thought I was going to get in real trouble. But, uh, and then, yeah, we chatted later. I think we actually, my, my team actually might have had a booth there. And God, yeah, it's been, it's been funny. It's been, it's been years and, and I, I, could, I could spend every day talking with you. I, I say this like people should know you, but it's also a weird world where we can be very localized, have a, obviously a very broad effect. You've got such a great voice, you know, not just in the sense of a radio voice, but like literally the ability for you to affect way, the way people are doing things. It's, it's been amazing to watch. Um, 
No, yeah, God, well, I mean, very much mutual because uh, I enjoyed your sessions and, and I've sat in quite a few actually. And, and I'm doing the interrupt. I'm actually doing interrupt this year. I'm doing a workshop on sort of rapid cloud adoption. You know, you're, you're the poor IT admin and you have your, your big executive walk in and say like, we need to be in AWS and in three months, uh, make it happen. And then leaves the room. <laughs> so, like, what do you do next? Like, uh, what, what are you supposed to do? Um, so apparently not my role now is to walk in the room and tell the team you need to be in AWS in three months and then I get to leave. But um, <laughs> in terms of that transition for management, but yeah, I, I think it's, um, it's pretty fascinating. I, I, do, I do enjoy interrupt too. I think they've done a, a, a nice job of, of sort of having that independent conference. We, we all attend all the big conferences from all the big vendors on, on a pretty regular basis. So that's Eric and I are fortunate enough that we, we get to see each other and uh, apparently we stay at the same hotel. <laughs> yes, it, yeah, yeah, it's my, my secret hotel is no longer secret because like it's listed on the major hotel list for reInvent and for, for a few others. And actually, I think VMworld last year when they were still in Las Vegas, it was, right. it was on the list. Uh, I, so it's a weird thing. I'm like, I gotta say, unfortunately, VMworld is back in, in San Francisco. I never thought I would utter those words. And I'm like, man, just the fact that well, I'm the Moscone Center, they've they've fixed it all up. I mean, they've got this the the south side is now two is now multi-story and it's it's much bigger space. Uh that it should be able to accommodate things. I, I can't fix everyone's pro I've been watching Twitter. I know everyone hates the price points in San Francisco. <laughs> Apparently everyone still thinks that it's covered in feces, and I'm not really quite sure why, because I, I live here local folks, it's not that bad. Um, it really yeah, is. that's got to be one of the weirdest like misnomers. I'm like, I've been I've been visiting San Francisco for a long time. Like, obviously, they're just like with any city. There's certain portions that uh, you know you get some interesting interesting characters and some interesting stuff that's happening in the city. But um, yeah, I was actually in for IBM Think very recently, oh, yeah. and uh, it was a bit of a whirlwind tour. Got invited by the IBM Canada team to come down as a like, oh, it's gonna hurt. And I say this. A social media influencer. <laughs> I feel like I need to wash my mouth out with soap when I say that. But uh, just obviously to be be there and kind of take in. Uh, I've obviously dabbled in the AI space a bit, so they they were keen to kind of have some voices representing that. It was good. Well, and they're they're releasing folks. Watson on all the making it available to all the other major cloud platforms, right? So that was like oh yeah on, the, on that space, right? So anyway, yeah. for the little amount that I follow there, that was my great insight. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me tell you, this is this is what's interesting. You, you're you're also one of the most humble uh, folks that I've I've seen in the industry. You definitely, you know, me looking on the other side and talking to people and seeing the impact you've had uh, is way more profound than than you would let on. Uh, and one of the the things I've really enjoyed watching is your kind of transition through different role types and whatnot. And I remember you recommended a book one time to somebody and about as fast as I could switch tabs and go to Amazon and order it, it was in my Kindle. Uh, and it was, it was, which one, this was the manager's path. And I, remember, Oh yes. I don't even remember how, what the, what the stream was, but I just sort of saw it passing and you said, Hey, here's a great book that had, had a really sort of strong effect on me. And so maybe let's use that as the launch point, you know, yeah. transition from technologist to what's next, you know? Well, you, you never stop being a technologist. I don't think once you, once it's in your blood, I mean, if you're a technical person and you enjoy that and I have, I have an engineering degree, so I clearly enjoy uh, abusing myself that way. It's just, just, <laughs> just like you do. But, um, uh, uh, as with everything, management is is a profession, and I think many people who are in the tech industry seem to forget that. It was something I learned um, 
so I, I had a slightly different career start because I, my degrees in civil engineering. And so I started off in a formal engineering profession and was going up doing all the ranks of, you know, Hey, you got to take your EIT, which is now the FIT and, and, um, and, you know, start this basis and work towards your professional, professional engineering license. And there's all this stuff you have to do in order to go about doing that. And I won't bore everyone with the details, but it has a very much a, a professional development, um, a career mindset around it in terms of saying you have an engineering profession, but if you go into management, you also need to learn the formalized management way of doing things. And this is very much, at least in my humble opinion, missing out of the technology industry side. We think that a great technologist can instantly turn into a great manager and lead people and do all that sort of stuff. And that's while there are certain charismatic individuals that can do this naturally, or they are very business minded and they happen to be technically minded, they can do it. I would say that the vast majority, uh, us great unwashed, uh, have to learn this as a skill set. And I realized when I was transitioning in my role, I was working at a VAR, uh, and I was a you know a principal solution architect, right? The, the you know the the big gun that got brought in to do architecture work uh, for for large infrastructure projects. Um, and then they said like, hey, we want you to start a cloud practice for us, and you're going to get a team of people, and you need to get the rest of the company on board with everything that needs to happen there. And I was like, well, I think I can definitely do the cloud part, and I definitely think I can you know get that part going. But managing people and resources and how do I pick the right team was a skill set I realized was outside of my wheelhouse. So I started doing reading and research to try and figure out how to teach myself how to be better at doing all of that. And The Manager's Path is just a fantastic book of walking through the evolution of an individual contributor up to a, a sort of like a tech lead into a manager of technical resources into a manager of managers, right? So how do you manage managers, <laughs> right? How do you do career development, how do you align, you know, their, their goals and objectives and career goals into what the business needs to do? How do you compensate them appropriately based off of those goals and objectives? And how do you communicate and advocate upstream so that people that are managing you understand what you're accomplishing, what your team is accomplishing and how to, you know, sort of communicate that message. So it was an absolutely fantastic book for folks that are technically minded, uh, are in technical, maybe individual contributor roles or, or tech lead roles. How do I get from where I'm at now today to being that first line frontline manager to being the manager of managers of, uh, and how do I progress my career going up the map? And she just did a fantastic job laying it all out. I, I was very impressed. It's, it's a condensed, very quick read. And uh, you know, what was it? I think there's a Mark Twain quote that Twain, quote that talks about, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't have the time to write a shorter letter because, yeah, you know, sure. <laughs> yeah. right. There's the whole, the whole thing. Like it's, it's pretty easy to write long voluminous stuff because you're not working very hard to make the message concise and short. It's much harder to do that. Um, and those of those of those of you that have, have written stuff and on a regular basis know this, it's much harder to groom your writing down and get it small and concise. She took the time to do that. It was it's, it's, it's an excellent book. I think you probably found the same thing, Eric. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and just uh, Camille really approached it with just a great voice, a good style. Uh, you know, there's any thing around you know, believability, weight. I'm a big, big fan of, of you know, Obviously, I've I've been in the business of teaching stuff, but quite often I'm teaching it right on the back of learning it about an hour earlier. <laughs> so, but right. this was different. Like you could just tell that these are practices that have been played out. These are you know, there was really really good stuff in there. I 100% recommend that people read it, even if they're not 
looking to make the leap themselves, it helps them to kind of understand what their managers need to deal with and their their sort of next line of, because it it helps you to understand if this is the sort of like top down, how to pull yourself into that role. It also teaches you what, what people that are trying to figure out that are doing. Like I've, years ago, I remember I, I worked at, at one company and the, the, the manager who was running the development team was a certified management accountant. And I just thought to myself, I'm like, he's really great at this though. So what was the skill set that he had that allowed him to effectively corral and move development teams in a meaningful way and always delivered, always did whatever, like obviously budgets were right on. Like, you know, like his, his skill set there was solid, but he really had ways to deal with the personality of a development team, which has like, you know, it's a distinct style of, of, of technologists that you're dealing with very creative, you know, coming with like, here's an idea, here's a business objective. All right, let's glue these two things together. And, you know, so it was really interesting. And, and so I really sat with him for a long time and said, like, how did you get to this? And it was kind of the same thing. He's like, you know, I had to watch not just how to be a manager, but how do people move up through the ranks. And in learning that, then he f- was able to better see the people on his team who would be really good team leads because he would see those things come out kind of naturally and it helped him to kind of nurture folks through their own personal growth. And, and it's funny, like you said, like if I'm looking for me, individual contributor, Eric wants to learn how to be better. Eric, there's a, there's a thousand books because it's all like, you know, be a better you, you know, you could go to anywhere in the self-help section and, and ultimately it's going to be some version of a make a better you uh, for your, for yourself and for others. But then to be able to say, like to move and change the way you approach things and change your role and your, who you're affecting to now you have to make a better bunch of other people. (laughs) You way different, (laughs) way different. And, and, and and also the principal attributes of saying like, you, you're, you're not thinking for yourself anymore. You're thinking for your team. The team is what's important. You're, you're, your your management of those resources and those individuals are you know they're putting their trust in in you i think it's fascinating for if if you are in a situation where you're an individual contributor and maybe you have a manager who's struggling this might not be a bad book to actually pick up and you know politely leave on their desk um <laughs> just to to see if they they take some cues from it because i i really do believe the tech industry is has fallen over in this particular area of not providing good frameworks for people to advance their careers in a formalized way and to understand how important the task of managing people and resources and putting their, you know, the, those individual contributors and, and tech leads, their needs first in, in, in understanding how to help them advance and, and do better. And that's really your principal job as a manager is how do you help your, your, your employees uh, do the best possible work they can um, and, and obviously for the company, the most efficient way and most cost-effective way. But the reality is, is that, uh, that's what keeps people motivated and moving along. Right. And it's career development. It's the opportunity to work on interesting projects, uh, be paid and compensated fairly for, for doing that work and learn something new. I think those are the objectives of most people who are in technical roles. And, uh, if you don't get to do those things, you're just not really interested and you move on. And, uh, and that's what causes companies to lose great employees. And so managers are, are really responsible for that. Most people don't quit companies because they hate the company. It's really because they don't like who their manager is or they have such a fantastic opportunity for somewhere else because their career wasn't being managed properly. 
and uh, and those are the responsibilities that fall in there. And she just does a fantastic job walking you through uh, what that looks like from sort of the pure practical reality side of, of, of some of the work you have to do. And it's not easy. I mean, you know, this, um, it is not an easy journey yes. to run through that. So. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because it's not just uh, it's a real continuous thing. Like even if it's doing going well, there's, there's dynamics above and below you that you really have to be a good gatekeeper for and kind of not necessarily cleansing and, and, and uh, you know, like limiting what goes through the layers, but really to be a, a buffer gap for like, okay, you know, upper management has particular goals that are, that, you know, I don't know that we're going to be able to hit, but I got to be able to find a way to in, incent my team to be able to do this this kind of over and above thing and and mm -hmm. really unlocking that potential in people well and, and concise concise communication is incredibly important your job as a manager is to be able to communicate uh accurately concisely and quickly so that those teams can make the appropriate decisions that they need to make and you need to be able to do the reverse in the other direction down to your team of concisely communicating exactly what your organization is up to why you're doing what you're doing like all the important principles of, of what keeps someone motivated if you they don't know why they're doing something or what the value is in, in, in what they're contributing. It's very hard to keep people mo motivated. And so you need to be able to communicate that way. I would say outside of, you know, obviously learning these, these base principles in, in, in some of the books that we're going to be talking about, but this one specifically, besides that, uh, learning how to write is actually really important. I, I hate to say this because most people go in a technical field and don't want to write, but Eric, as you, very well aware for anyone who's spending time communicating to, to, you know, community, to your peers, you actually end up spending a lot of time writing and taking the time to learn how to write well is profoundly important. I'm very fortunate because I have two, two colleagues in my, in, in my work who are far superior writers to I am. So I'm sort of the guy that does the, like, I can get like 80% of my idea down on paper, like incredibly quickly and get like the major framework storyline and, and things like that done. But my grammar's horrible. I'm the run on <laughs> king. I'm like the, my wife comes in, she's an English major. She was an English major and, and uh, she comes and looks and says, you know, you, they have these things are called periods. <laughs> they end sentences and you should use them. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I'm very fortunate. My, my colleagues are, are incredibly good at that. So they come through and sort of look through my material and I'm the one that comes back and helps them to reframe some of the storyline. I'm like, Hey, I don't think that didn't resonate with me. And here's why here's where you deviated off your storyline and didn't help. And, and storytelling is really important in, in that aspect too, of being a good communicator. Um, so, you know, Nancy Duarte and her books and, and talking about, you know, you know, how do you actually communicate effectively and and uh, and do it in a way that many people can understand you uh, with different modalities? And that's maybe the next thing we can jump into is sort of learning modalities because I find that really interesting. But um, the the manager side, I, I, I would say that's probably the principal book I would pick up if you're in our field right now and you're in technology because it's it is written for technology teams. It's not written for you know, unlike, you know, I, it could apply to a civil engineering field, but the reality is she's in tech. She's was leading development teams. It's, in, it's, I, I think it's just right on the mark for folks in, in, in our industry about what they need to read to, to be successful that way and go through that transition. Yeah. And it's funny that, I mean, I love that you brought up writing and communication because that obviously that plays through the book. It plays through everything we see. And it's funny. I mean, you know, just, even if you're particularly good as a individual creator of content, uh, and even well-read, I know, I know poor writers who are well-read uh, like that's, it's not always a match. Like just because of people read a lot of your stuff. I was, I fell victim to that early and you know, I was lucky enough to have, you know, kind of written about things that 
that were resonating with people like at a technical level. And I got better with writing the paragraphs around the technology junk uh, over time. And, and I used to, way back when, I remember somebody there like corrected me. I was, I was blogging, but I was working at a company like as a regular, regular old school customer. Like I was a real, real day-to-day systems architect. And somebody on the technical team, like the, in the communications team, they're like, well, here's the system notification. The system will be down for here. Here's the reason this is the change we're making. You know, just a quick explanation of what it was. And they just basically sent it back. And it was like a grade nine essay. It was just littered with red marks and like passive <laughs> voice. All this, like, all this stuff was wrong. And I, and I was immediately like had to stop. And I was like, I'm like 20 at the time, like 20,000 people a month are reading what I write how am I this bad at writing? And I had a choice of like, do I get offended and reply back going, look, comma, <laughs> yeah, 20,000 yeah. people a month. But I was like, no, 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 wait a minute. How can I do this better? And I, it, 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 it was, it's a humbling thing, you know, and going through, you know, reading through Camille's book and watching again, watch people around you. Oh, there's no, there's no perfect, beautiful thing. Like it, we will hit some stumbling blocks and especially when you're managing people and you're working with, with peers and being a team lead, even you're not just managing it when it goes great. It's all really about how you deal with stuff when there's real tough challenges and when, when stuff is unclear. And like you said, right. And when you're communicating poorly, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you'd be amazed. I mean, there's uh, and this was a, this gets to the mo- modality side of, of learning. Because uh, I've had all sorts of different managers myself. I've had folks that you know are, are the type that I've got to pick up the phone and call them because that's the way that they communicate. And it doesn't matter how many emails I write them or how many long form white papers I send to them or anything else. Uh, you know, if I pick up the phone, then the message gets through. Um, but I think very much in line here. I've uh, for for the manager side, when things are going poorly, it's probably because you didn't communicate very well. Um, you didn't right. communicate expectations. You didn't communicate what the company needed. Um, you didn't communicate upstream to your management team. You didn't communicate to your team correctly. Something what broke down there. I mean, there's obviously exceptions, you know, pure disasters of things blowing up and stuff like that. But the reality is, is, is even in those crisis situations, learning how to communicate well and be clear, learning how to be clear is really, really hard. This is the, these are the things I need you to do. And these are the reasons why I need you to do them. Um, and, uh, even doing that well over email over, you know, Slack is probably, you know, super hard to <laughs> communicate well in and, and learn how to do that. Um, it, it, it's, it's a challenge. And I think it's one of the things that people underestimate as they start moving into the management chain about how much that will impact their success in their career. And, uh, besides knowing the, the blocking and tackling of, of, of just, how to do the right things for your team and how to structure your teams and how to evaluate who, what your team members are, are, are producing. Um, I think the next challenge really is the communication side. Yeah. It's I, I I'm in violent agreement about the ineffectiveness of Slack. It's because I hate it <laughs> because I, because I, I don't yeah. use it right. Uh, it's also I hate it because I don't find it to be effective in the way that I like. I yeah, use this is a really good. Ex- yeah. You're a perfect example. So different modalities of learning, right? Yeah. So, so I have, and, and some of this is generational and some of it is, is absolutely just who you are as a person. So the other book that I recommend everyone read is called Managing Oneself by Peter Drucker. It's from Harvard Business Review Classic. It's a tiny little book. It is 60 pages. I mean, serious, you could read it in your lunch hour. You sit down, read it cover to cover in your lunch hour. Um, and the last probably 10 pages, which are all like talking about the second phase of your career, you probably don't even need to read. So you're down to 50 pages. 
Uh, and it's a small form factor book. So when I'm saying 50 pages, it's really nothing. And, and they make the text bigger too. So it's easier to read. Uh, so, it's a great airplane read, right? Like they literally hand absolutely. out these things at the airport. So like you can read this before your plane arrives. <laughs> right. So Managing Oneself is one of the books uh, that I highly, highly recommend. And one of the reasons why is because it talks about the set of, of responsibilities about how to, uh, of, of your learning methodology. The first thing you need to understand for yourself is how do you learn? Are you a reader? Are you someone who has to write? Are you have to get up on the whiteboard and do it? Do you have to lab it? Do you have to visually see it? So someone needs to put a presentation together. Uh, you know, if you're the reader, do you need a white paper or is it something else that you need to be able to do? Is it, you know, uh, if, if you're the writer type, do you have to type it out in an email, but you just delete the email when you're done because it doesn't matter because you just wrote it down. Right. Uh, if you're a note taker, do you have to just write the notes, but then you discard them, you never have to look at them again. So there's examples of all of this that go through there. You have to understand your learning modality first. And the reason why that's really important is because you then have to share it with everyone else on your team and your manager. And that's the second phase of the responsibility is, is, is sharing how you learn because then your teammates now know what's important to you. Are you the sort of individual that if uh, you know, something's really important and it's coming up, um, I had a manager, as I mentioned before, had to call them. It was a voice conversation. That's what got through. That's how the communication needed to work. It wasn't a short, brief email. It wasn't a long form email. It wasn't a PowerPoint deck I sent them. Uh, he needed to talk through with me. It wasn't a whiteboard session either. It was had to talk through to do that. I had folks on my team. The only way they learned was we whiteboarded together. Yeah. So that meant that I had a different presentation. Even though I was trying to get across the exact same piece of subject matter, I had different ways that I had to explain it to different team members, both on my team and then my executive team, to make sure that I was accommodating for them to be able to learn it the way they needed to. And so this is the great misunderstanding of like, what the heck do those managers spend all their time doing? You're now learning what you're spending your time doing. You're That's learning, <laughs> you're, well, think about it. You're having to present material potentially, and this, is, and this comes to criteria of how you build a team. You wanna build a team that doesn't have too many modalities of learning because it puts a bigger burden on you as a manager of having to come across all of those. I've actually had decisions where we sat in executive decisions about hiring for teams and said like, they're actually better over on this team because of their modality learning is the same as the rest of the team, that the team doesn't have to change to accommodate bringing them onto the team. Even though I would like them on this current team, it would cause me to have to add another mode of modality because they're in uh, learning modality because they don't match any of the existing ones, which causes additional work that will slow the process down. So it's, it's really interesting sort of having those, you know, upper level discussions and saying like, hey, this person needs to whiteboard through everything and everyone else on the rest of the team whiteboards the exact same way. Perfect fit. Like this is going to get, they're going to get along like a car on fire. as they used to ex say, right? ex Exactly. <laughs> versus the one individual who comes in and everything they have to do has to be by written email. And if it isn't in the first portion of what you can see in the email, they ignore the rest. Like that's a problem because everyone else is whiteboarding. So yeah. they feel like they're left out. And so there's all these interesting ways that you have to think about this. Well, if you don't know how you learn, you can't share that with your colleagues and they don't know what they have to present to you in the right mode for you to learn it. Right? So it's your responsibility to actually teach other people like, no, no, the way I learn this is I'm a hands-on practical lab guy. Just give me the lab, give me the materials. I'll sit down, I'll learn it and I'll come back to you and tell you when I've absorbed it. 
versus the next individual who sits down and says like, oh no, I need someone to walk me through this on a whiteboard. I'll get the concept portions done. I can work on the technical stuff on my own maybe a little bit later, but I need someone to walk me through like the architecture decisions, why you make them, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to reading them in a white paper or the lab, right? Yeah. Versus someone else. Yeah, so there's all these different ways, which is why there's so many different types of presentations and, and content available out there, right? Yeah, for all the folks that subscribe to Pluralsight, where I have some of my education material and screencast, they're visual learners. They need to w watch someone else doing that and they need to have it, you know, uh, um, some sort of audio that goes along with it for that. Some other folks, they just go and grab the lab manual and they're off to the races. Um, some other folks, they need to get a hands-on working lab. And so they attend a formalized class and they get someone to actually formally structurally walk them through that. And that's how they learn. And this is really important that most most managers fail to recognize this within their teams. And so they say, this is the only method that we're going to pay for for learning. You must go to a workshop or you can only get online classing because that's the most, you know, that's, you know, you only get Pluralsight or you only get, you know, whatever, whatever other, you know, you know, a cloud guru or whatever. That's the only way. Yeah. Well, what if they don't learn? So everybody's just got to figure it out. Right? Like, no, no, no. Right. And <laughs> That may not be the right way. So you may, your brightest, best engineer may not be getting the best resources for him or her for the simple reason that the management team has decided this is the only, this is the only learning mode that we're going to offer. And, and that could be a, a real serious mistake. And if you couldn't articulate this, this is a communication side, if you can't articulate what we're just talking about right now to your management team to say like, yeah, not everyone learns that way. Do you really want to take our best resource and not provide them the resources to learn better, to sell to our customers or to support us as an organization or whatever it is, whatever the use case is, that seems foolish, right? That's not a good investment in people. And, uh, and, and they need to learn and understand that. But if you can't communicate that, then you're back to square one again, right? You're, people aren't getting the resources they want, they get frustrated and they leave. <laughs> and right? it's a very distinct thing. It's, it's, I mean, the story that I, I pull on all the time is a reminder of like, it's not even a matter of like, they're smart or they're not smart. Like it, we, we kind of attach it like, why can't they just like watch a 15 minute video and take this test and then they'll be done this thing. Like it's like a group certification, or whatever, like, no, no, it's that people learn in vastly different ways. And I had a, an amazing developer that I worked for a team that I was helping out. Uh, and so I was the, I was literally desktop support for this, this team and, and helping the server side builds and this this fellow, he was a it was a C developer, like done a crazy little level of code. I'll never forget Larry. He's a good guy. And then every thirty five days, I would meet Larry because every thirty five days he would have to change his password, and Larry would not remember how to put in the old password once and the new password twice. So he would lock himself out every thirty five days. Like, and I sat there every thirty five days, and I said, "Hey, you know, how's it going, Larry? Oh, I, I don't know what happened, but I, I got locked out for some reason." And like. I knew what was going on. It's just not his thing. And I, it wasn't, I'm not going to be the one that goes, Larry, you're not smart. I don't understand why you can like, so I said, okay, cool. Let's walk through this. What do we need to do? Let's take a look at this. I would help him through it. And I'm like, all right. You know, and I would look through the course of waiting for this. I would ask him like, so what'd you do on the weekends? And he's like, well, I decided to learn Java because I'm, we're building this new platform. And I thought we should move it to Java instead of C. And it was like, he literally learned a new programming language in 48 hours, but here I was every 35 days resetting his password. It was a different thing. It was a different, right. you know, it wasn't his, wasn't his, his jive. Like, and so it was funny because for him to learn that process and map to it, it just, it didn't matter to him. So he just never put the attention to it. <laughs> so I had to learn very like humbly, like it's not, again, just help him through it. Right. You know, 
that was the dynamic we were going to always have. I'm like, I'll see you in 35 days, Larry. He's like, yep. See you later, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, and th that gets down to, can you build systems that actually accommodate people for their needs around that? And that's a whole different discussion. That's a, that, that's a podcast, <laughs> yeah. but, but uh, yeah, I mean, that, I just found those incredibly important. Uh, that the managing oneself is really about self-reflection of learning how to literally what the title says, managing oneself. How do you get the best productivity out of yourself? And the, one of the ways you do that is by being able to communicate how you learn, um, you know, how those modalities actually work for you and how you can work effectively with other people once you understand how they learn. And, uh, and, and this allows you to be much more effective and understand what's important uh, and what needs to get across the finish line. And I think those are, those are important life skills to have. So those two books are probably, you know, great resources for, you know, learning how to manage yourself and then manage other individuals is, is incredibly important. And then that leads naturally into, you know, personality types and learning modes for personality types. And that's, that's another book that I recommend because everyone, everyone's probably heard of Meyer Briggs in terms of personality and, 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 you know, going through that. And I always found that to be pretty complex in terms of going through and evaluating everything there. And I know there's people that say, yeah, it's super easy, but for me, it didn't work for me. Um, <laughs> it just played out exactly what we just talked about. Right? Right. Was like, it makes sense. So like, not to me. <laughs> yeah. So I actually found a book by Gretchen Rubin called The Four Tendencies. Uh, that's actually, it's, a, it's all about personality profiles. And, um, and it's really, really simple. There's four. <laughs> Hence the four tendencies <laughs> in terms of name. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, aptly named, right? Look at that. Communicating very, 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 uh, very clearly. But um, I, I, I like what the concept was. And you just need to find the right book that helps you to understand personality types. I, I, I wouldn't say her book is necessarily that much clearer or better than maybe learning how to do the Meyer Briggs stuff appropriately. It just resonated with me as all. But I do recommend it as a read because it's pretty simple in terms of understanding where motivations lie for how people accomplish things um, for themselves. And uh, she does a good job of just uh, being really concise and making it easy to evaluate. Um, oh, um, in teams and she does have an online portal for you to take the survey and be able to get the feedback so what i've done with my teams in the past there's a couple different surveys that are available out there to sort of understand what your learning modes are like am i a reader am i visual am i auditory am i you know kinesthetic i need to write stuff or hold stuff in my hands and things like that or am i you know what what mode do you fit into and you should actually go through with your team and actually you all fill this out and i used to do this in confluence just build a table and everyone would go in and self-edit for themselves and they put their rankings down for each one of these and then they take the personality tests for, for the four tendencies and put that down in there. And what that allowed the rest of the team to do is you could go look at a page really quickly, go look at a wiki and say like, Oh, I'm going to be working with so-and-so on this project. What's their learning modality? What's their, what's their way of doing that? And what's their personality temperament type it's telling me. And it was incredibly useful because suddenly we learned a lot about each other in a very concise way um, and, uh, so in case you didn't, you know, we were distributed teams, so you didn't necessarily get to work with or see everyone every single day. And then the, in addition to that, it allowed the managers to look through and say like, you know, does it make sense to stick these individuals on a, on a project together? Uh, even though they might be the right skill sets, should we push someone else, uh, um, to, to take over that particular role, even though it's not their core competency, maybe it's something else that they're good at, but it's, it's not their expertise simply because of, of the personality traits and the learning modes, uh, will make it a more successful project. And you can make those decisions once you have that information. So once again, it gets back to you know data gathering and information, uh, which is you know something that I assume most folks are are comfortable with in terms of saying like we want to have you know data informed decisions. Well, this helps you to get 
get there in terms of a data informed decision. Yeah, and it's I I've been a longtime fan of of Ray Dalio and and the work that he's been publishing for a long time, and, and he mm-hmm. actually last year uh, published a book called Principles. Yes. I recommend everybody, and I followed Bridgewater for his 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 company for a long time because I loved their really really data backed organizational management and the radical transparency and 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 I've it was it was kind of ama- you know funny to watch this thing play out when he published the full book and. And, and it really, they had this, they call it the baseball cards and it's just that, right? Like here's the skill set that makes this, that here's their strengths, here's their, where they're not as strong. And when you talk with your team and everybody on the team is kind of good, where like, we're okay to be transparent about our skills and our areas that we're not maybe either not as good yet, or maybe we're never going to be that good at. There's nothing wrong with that. Like I'm not an organizational person. I'm not a creating project plans. I'll create a project plan right now. Won't follow it. We'll get the thing done, right? That's the way that I think is going to be different. So put me next to somebody who's good at making the plan, tracking the plan, doing the thing. I'll do the thing. And then we great pairing and so it becomes this kind of like recipe creator where you can say like all right i need a an organizer i need somebody who can react quickly because we're going to have stuff that's going to come up i need someone who can speak to legal people and be able to understand what they're trying to convey in business requirements and you you match up those skills and it's this is not just like a myers-briggs like oh you're an intj perfect i got an ent you know like no that's that's not the matching i literally need like kind of skill by skill you know and competency matching and i loved it it's kind of tricky sometimes the very same people generations of people who will put everything about their life on facebook won't fill out a baseball card with the five skills that they're really good at i'm like yes yes Uh, the manager's dilemma of how do you tell people that you need to reveal more about yourself and how often, so we did a skills matrix as part of the exercise that we go through, go through for the team, how much your best people would completely, completely sandbag their expertise. Yeah. Going, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So I, 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 I had individuals, you know, double, triple CCIEs, right. For networking skills and technologies that uh, would go in and say like, Oh, well, I understand networking. Like yeah, seriously. Mother- Moderate coverage of networking skills. Yes. Yeah. It's like, seriously, uh, you know, I mean, it was like, it's, it was just hysterical. I had people that were considered, you know, complete industry experts, written books, written white papers and worked with manufacturer and come back and say, like, Oh yeah, I know a little bit about that topic. What do you mean? You know, a little bit about that topic. Like that's not helpful. Like we, the rest of the team needs to understand explicitly what you're capable of doing and how technically deep you can go. And, you know, so you end up having to get pretty granular with folks and, and sometimes it is a little bit of pulling teeth, but it's, imp- it's an important process to go through because, uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be publicly shared, right? It's not something that has to go out to the, a big wide audience. I don't know if you necessarily want all your salespeople to have uh, that sort of intimate detailed knowledge about things. They'll oversell everyone then, but, um, but uh, it's super useful from a management basis and a team basis to understand that, that much better. I really do like the idea. I, I'm always caught in this thing. Like I've, I've been, a, I study behavioral psychology. That was like where I came at this world from, you know, and like studying people and, and learning how that interaction works. And so applying, like I, I'm, I'm with you, <clears throat> like in the small team, it's amazing. I like that it could go bigger, 
but then it exposes, you know, there's different risks and different things. And when we're like, oh, like they're more likely to share amongst the eight to 12 people on the team than they are with the 500 people or, or 10,000 people at the company. Right. Um, so, yeah, what, even looking at, 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 you know, Bridgewater and, and Ray Dalio's approach, I've had people say like, well, that wouldn't work at scale. I'm like, well, yes, probably. You know, there's going to be interesting dynamics that change when you have larger teams, larger parts of the organization, different geographic and like, you know, ethno, you know, differences. There's tons of things that will come into play when you, when you scale out and get into different, you know, situations. But I do believe that it could work. But sometimes that's way more theoretical than practical. People tend to tighten up when they got to, you know, I'll tell my team of seven people that I'm that I can play guitar. I don't want the 375 people that are coming to the show to know that I do. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and it's and it's it's definitely it's definitely um, you need to set boundaries about what's appropriate and, and how to share that information. But that well, gets back to that communication thing again, right? How do you communicate to your team, and then how do you communicate that information that you gathered upstream in an appropriate format that uh, is digestible and makes sense, right? It's appropriate for the audience that you're addressing. So I, the, one of the neat things I've always heard from people is, you know, you've, you stumbled upon these things, you know, and, and when, we, when we look back at how we progressed in our career, we had, you know, there's some stuff that we kind of, we shave off the, some of the details. <laughs> like there's just like everybody is like, oh, I just happened to be, I picked up a bike and so I thought I'd, I'd, I'd try it out, you know, and, and became good at, at cycling, you know, but didn't, no one tells you the story that, oh yeah, they were a competitive marathoner before they decided to just pick up a bike. Like there's, there's always no <laughs> thing. And on the other side too, is they don't tell you about, oh yeah, I, I, I was really bad at this for a long time and I struggled way more than I should. So you just, you only see the end result and we've made interesting mistakes along the way. So you've done really cool things and, you know, obviously your current role and what you're doing versus how you've come through. I like to say, what, what are the things that went wrong for all the right reasons? Like, you know, what's your favorite mistake or your favorite error that you survived and said like, wow, okay. I just learned something really cool. And in fact, it, it's going to propel me into this next thing. Hmm. So I, I would say probably uh, from the most people don't get to see it. Um, uh, your first management role, uh, the biggest mistake you do is, is, or at least the one that I made, was um, not, ask, not asking for help early enough uh, and thinking that I had to solve all the problems myself, uh, both with my team and then also to my management team. Uh, just that's partly coming from, for most of the folks who are, you know, technology bent and day-to-day, -day, you know, true operators and, and, and in doing stuff, you don't like being in that position of having to, um, especially when you're, you're, you're coming from a, a space of being technically proficient in, in one area. So you're in my particular case, really good in, in networking and, and then switching over and, and learning cloud and, and, and that was a technical challenge and hey, I was able to tackle that one pretty easily. The second part of it was learning how to manage people. I thought you just take the exact same principle of what you do from learning a net new skill, uh, which was for me learning cloud from learning networking. Um, and I should just be able to learn how to manage people the same way. And uh, it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can't just try harder. You can't just go home and work on it at night. Like there's, it's a very different thing because you, it's the dynamic is totally different. And when well, you're dealing with people, 
Yeah. You're dealing with people. You're not dealing with machines. You're not dealing with um, a set of parameter technologies that might have bugs in it, but at least the bugs are well known, or at least you don't understand how to do workarounds. These are people. They have lives, personalities, needs, emotions, uh, everything else that goes into that. And uh, you need to put a framework in place to help you um, address and, and be consistent. And I, I think the other thing that I didn't anticipate that was going to be incredibly important early on was that I had to fight very hard to understand what the career ladder needed to be and how to both communicate what the existing career ladder was, how to influence change on the career ladder to accommodate the needs of what my team actually was going through, and then how to get those actually put in place and run and operated at scale across the company is really important. That was sort of the progression of going from individual contributor to managing a team or sort of resources for, for, for the cloud solution offering, and then going all the way up to a VP of engineering role and having to do that work across the entire organization with different teams that had managers in place and how do you make sure you're standardizing to get the, the right career maps that can work universally across all the different portions of, or, of the engineering organization. How do they align to both the sales side, the post-sales consulting and delivery side? Like there's a lot of different parameters that go into that. And, you know, that's a hard, that's a hard thing because you're, you're dealing with incentives and upsides for, for both their career, but also, you know, compensation and what they want to do, uh, uh, just personally from a personal growth and development basis and trying to accommodate for all that is not not simple and uh, Tackling it early early and addressing it head-on is really important and just thinking that your upstream management team knows what to do around that is a mistake Yeah, so. A tough one. Yeah, it's 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 funny because we We especially when you get people that come out of like doing it as a as a day-to-day -day job for a company and they could become there. You, we find the people that come up and they float to the top quickly. Of like, they're particularly good in that team. They're like really good at networking. They're good at server. They're good at orchestration. And then they make the jump and they go and they work for a var or they move to a vendor role or something like that. Mm -hmm. and the the outcomes of your day to day are very different. And you're like you said, they're compensated differently. They're managed and measured differently. You know, you can be really good at doing one thing in one data center, maybe even doing it in a few different data centers. Well, what if now it's your whole job to then be able to have a team of sales folks sell that capability to other companies? And like, it's a, it's a very, very vastly different thing. It's, it's exciting to watch, but it's, and it's a continuous experiment. Well, and you're going through that right now, right? I mean, when you joined Turbonomic, I mean, they think they were relatively small and they had a different name. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> Back in the day, right? Going through a name change isn't easy either. Uh, and I think um, I think learning how to communicate well and then take that out to the field and teach hundreds or thousands of people what the message needs to be. Talk about a communication, like learning how to communicate well and being concise and on message and something that's repeatable for other people and in the right modality for them to learn it. It's not a simple task. And suddenly you went from a great technical resource individual contributor to a community advocate to to uh, you know, uh, you know, I wouldn't say evangelist necessarily, but someone who's who's definitely being leaned on to help you know close that sale and close that you know knowledge gap for for customers and and uh, and 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 in your sales team, and then suddenly have to say like, oh, and by the way, you're going to need to deliver this message to hundreds or thousands of individuals um, is, is is hard. I'm, I'm I'm fortunate; I never really had to do that across you know much more than a couple hundred. When you get to the thousand stage. You're you've got a marketing budget. You've got responsibilities that fall fall outside the category just purely technical, right? You're having to yeah. coordinate, you know, with graphic artists and marketing folks, and you know, 
all sorts of other things that go into it to, to, you know, communications folks that are full-time communication folks. Like how do you generate the right material with the right message? And are you doing the right thing that executes for what your, where your business is at is really hard. And this is true regardless of whether you're in a pure technical field or if you're in a totally different field, if you're in automotive or you know, in any of the others, there's a reason that you see the messaging and, and, and the communication happen the way it does. And companies that are successful really get this. That's part of the brand portion, but, uh, but it's definitely important. And, and your, your technical teams are, are, are much more involved in it than you probably think. So, I 100%. And uh, another great book that I've, I recommend to a lot of people as well, it's called Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It's another one that mm. you can can literally read it on the way to you know waiting for your plane if you're traveling somewhere or like you know it's an evening read uh and what i loved about it kind of like for folks that are in technology they've almost in there invariably read the phoenix project and right. or for my american friends the phoenix project uh, <laughs> 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 I, my canadianisms come out when i say these things what was interesting for it is there's a there's literal characters in there. So you're listening to the story. It's teaching you basically like parables. Like this is, it's not like it's the way the Bible teaches you morality. It's like, this is, so the five dysfunction of a team is not about telling you why you are good or bad or whatever. It's showing how these like weird personality challenges can come together and how to find and mix and match them. And it really going back to the way we started here, like, being able to map and understand that, deal with different modalities, and and create successful teams, it's it's you've got to be able to spot those things, be able to exploit them, and I say that in the best, in a good and bad way. Like like exploit is a good thing. Exploit is like find it, highlight it, bring advantage to it, you know, or or put somebody else in an opportunity where they can take over that piece where somebody else can't pick that up. It's there's, there's a whole neat thing around, around people dynamics and you, you've done, I, I admire your approach to it and, and it's been proven out. So that's, that's also a bonus. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of people say like, I'm a great team lead. And like, I don't know. I, everyone in your team doesn't seem to think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we don't know that. We don't have any of my former employees on. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got it. We may have to go to take a few surveys before we get deleted. Before the podcast goes out, you can you can do the survey poll. <laughs> well, we covered a lot of we covered a lot of area. I mean, it's um, I, I'll I'll definitely send you my book reading list on on the short form side. So for for those that uh, are interested, they can you can pull it up in the in the podcast notes. But uh, yeah, I think we threw out a, a whole slew of great ones. I mean, there's clearly you know fantastic management books that are out there and things like that. If you're truly interested in it, I think it's a a worthwhile worthwhile venture to get better at, at, at learning how to manage better. And certainly from a you know, financial basis, a human capital basis, everything else, it's, it's an important, it is a profession, right? It is a, it is a full career and profession in and in and within itself, besides the technical profession that you have. Um, if you want to go that direction, I definitely recommend spending the time and energy to do it. It's, it's, it's well, it's well worth the investment because uh, it'll help you to, uh, uh, to, to be successful there. And the, it's, it's definitely, um, uh, I, I found it to be fruitful for myself in terms of uh, really understanding a lot more about what companies are trying to achieve uh, internally and then also how to help work with them um, to make them better. So yeah. it's definitely a beautiful merger of, of art and science. And, uh, you know, you, thanks for sharing. You know, this has been this has been great. I could literally talk to you for eight straight hours, just cut them into various podcasts. This is, we'll definitely, we'll talk more in the future. There's some other stuff I wanted to even tackle. It's like, ah, 
I'm not going to stop, but we're, we got such great stuff that we're covering here. So thanks a lot, Ed, for, for taking the time. Uh, again, you know, like I said, we'll share the, the short list here. Uh, you've also got a blog uh, that, that had that. So uh, what's your blog? Where do folks find you? And, and how do they, uh, they connect with you online? I'll say, how do they connect with you on Slack? So I hear you love Slack. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say love. Well, let's see. Um, uh, the blog is howfunky.com which is pretty easy to remember. Uh, it's just where I sort of, uh, the, actually the title is How Funky, A Place with Useless Technical Content. <laughs> so it's just, a, it was a parking space for me to keep, uh, keep stuff so I didn't have to keep it in my brain uh, all the time. So it's like, uh, I don't have to remember what my book reading list is, I just go read it on my own blog. So if other people get use, uh, something useful out of it, that's great, but uh, you know, it's just, uh, just where I put my musings around that. Outside of that, I'd say Twitter with at eHorley, E-H-O-R-L-E-Y. And uh, if you are interested at all in networking and IPv6, then check out the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Packet Pushers. And, uh, you know, they've got a bunch of great content too uh, with Ethan and Drew and, and, and Greg and the rest of the crew over there. But, uh, and Chris Wall, you know, I'm trying to think who else, uh, you know, Scott Lowe. Scott yeah, Lowe's we've got, I just realized there's only two, there's only two packet pushers of uh, voices I haven't had. I haven't actually had Greg on yet. Uh, and I haven't had a chance to, to, to nab Scott for podcast. Scott's just such a great fellow to talk with as well. Oh yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So. One day I'll round it out because I, I recently had uh, had Drew on and I had Ethan on a couple times actually. We've we've talked about a few different things, um, so you know you guys. Yeah, are- they're just great, great humans. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, Ed, thanks you very much. We'll definitely, we'll include some stuff in the show notes and, uh, and everybody keep their eyes. If you're going to interop 100%, you should go to that show, uh, especially just because it's a great show and it's full of great people. It's one of the most community oriented and, and beautifully interactive uh, shows that you can get to. You can really dig in, get technical, uh, get the bigger picture. It's non-vendor specific and, and folks like Ed are, are on the review board and, and creating content in labs and, 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 you know, so great sessions there, great people that are running that opportunity. So uh, hopefully we'll see those folks there. Of course, if you want to connect with me, uh, you just go to discopossepodcast.com. I got links to other shows and show notes in there. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Disco Posse. And yeah, hopefully we'll, uh, if you've got any other ideas, you want some folks you want to hear on here, and drop me a line and we'll, we'll try and get things going. Thanks very much, Ed. And uh, we'll look forward to talking more in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to the Disco Podcast.